Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. Hey, this is David Williams with ADV Films, and if you're not with the anime world order, you're not catching the latest from ADV. Do it. Once again, feels like only yesterday when I was doing this. Oh, wait. It was. And by yesterday, I meant earlier today. This is Anime World Order, show number 24. Each week, we talk about Japanese animation, Japanese comics. As the leader of that endeavor, I am Daryl Surratt. Still broken down from having to edit this podcast at 4 in the morning. But I'm here again. That's my commitment to you, dear internet. With me, as always, are my equally committed co-hosts. Hey, this is Gerald Rathkolb, still recovering from the utter crappiness of my last review that never made it on air, and that was a favor for all of you people. I'm Clarissa. Yes, we're all very (laughs) full of life and vigor. In any case, this week, I am going to review the often overlooked, except on this podcast since we never seem to shut up about it, (laughs) <laughs> Prefectural Earth Defense Force. Available from ADV Films, kind of. Like, only through their website. Or a few other websites. Yeah. Not in stores anywhere. But it's still cool, so we'll talk about that. And I'm going to be taking a look at another overlooked anime, the really, really good Crusher Joe, the movie, and Crusher Joe, the OAVs. As made famous from Otakon's Mystery Anime Theater 3000 that one year. <laughs> And just so that we're not all doing weird anime that people haven't heard of, we need to have Clarissa to bring us back into the realm of reality so that people actually listen to the show. So what are you reviewing, Clarissa? Well, I'm kind of continuing off from my review a little while ago of Saint Seiya and talking about one of the other shows that was spawned by Saint Seiya, Yoridan Samurai Troopers, though people here probably know it as Ronin Warriors. That was a good show power of wallpaper compels you. It does. Wallpaper (laughs) is incredibly powerful. It is. It's made of metal, and wallpaper is strong. This email is getting out of hand, but we're going to ask for more of it anyway. You can email us at animeworldorder at gmail.com with your questions, comments, moans, groans, whatever. If you want to offer suggestions for things we should review, if you want to submit your own reviews or opinions, send them in. You can also leave us voicemail. 206-666-4296, or 206-6664-AWO, if that's easy to remember. Leave us a message. We'll play it on the show at some point. Maybe. Please, when you leave the messages, say what your name is. Try and speak up into the phone, because the voicemail system is kind of weak, but I guess you already knew that from listening to the show in the past. And a bit of advice, write out completely what you want to say, and then call and say it. Because we do get a lot of people just calling and saying, mm. I don't blame you people, because I lose it yeah. leaving answering machine messages too. Regardless of the case, we can edit you and make you sound kind of good. Let's answer some of these emails, because it's important that we build a community. Because all the real podcasts out there have forums and t-shirts and 
chat rooms, and we have none of those things. Whatever. Maybe if we had communities, we could beg people to send us things. Like, oh, hey, please send us $700 with audio equipment. <laughs> I don't know. We're never going to be the big dog on the block. What we can do is be a flea sucking the blood from the boils on the ass of the biggest dog. And with that in mind, there's been this informal war going on between the Weekly Anime Review Podcast and Anime Pulse over who can be the number one podcast over on podcastpickle.com. And we have benefited from this because each time they say, hey, register on Podcast Pickle and vote for us, they throw in, and while you're at it, vote for the other anime podcasts too. And as a result, we are ranked 14 or something out of the thousands of podcasts out there in podcasts. <laughs> wow. But we've been stuck there for about three weeks or so. Now, my objective is we need to get all anime-related podcasts in the top ten on this website to sabotage it. But currently, we're the closest to breaking into the top ten of the anime podcasts that aren't in the top ten. The thing is, to get into the top ten, you got to overcome a pretty big hurdle. Like, you have to beg, that's why. Yeah, we have to beg, and that's what we haven't been doing. So we're begging now for the Aww. sake of making a good joke. Oh, Admit, okay. No, no, admit, think of the glory of some dude just going on a podcast pickle to try and find Ricky Gervais or This Week in Tech, and all they see on the list, anime, 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 anime. <laughs> Ruin their life. Put a gun in their mouth and paint the walls with their brains. This is how anime fandom sabotages the internet as a whole. The small <laughs> but highly vocal minority controlling policy this is what tricks people Jordan. like ADV into releasing things like Princess Tutu, even though Princess Tutu is a good show. But... Yeah, for us to get into the top 10, we need to get a lot more votes because we have to overcome This Week in Tech and other real podcasts that deserve that deserve their accolades. So what we're going to request is go to www.podcastpickle.com, and if you haven't already, register for the site. It's just like signing up for a message board forum. They don't send you any email or anything like that. Once you do that... Add us to your favorites on there. And the more people who have us added as a favorite, that's what increases the rank. Now, we're not ever going to be number one or number two, but if we can get us in, like, ten. The other podcasts we're giving away prizes as incentives. We don't have any prizes. All I have is this rubber chicken. <laughs> it has a pulley on it on the opposite end. I can use it to too old a game. Oh, well. Let's go to the emails. <laughs> We have an email from Ryan Gavigan relating to the last show. He says, yeah, why didn't you have me on the show? Tap, tap, tap. One of the things that myself and Carl Horn have talked about is comparing Otaku no Video and Genshiken. While I wholeheartedly agree that Genshiken is a great title, I also think it shows a bit of a sad or unfulfilled part of fandom. In that Otaku no Video, we have fans striving for and living the dream, literally to otakunize the human race and bring their dreams to the consciousness of the masses, and of course to make loads of money, whereas in Genshiken it shows how fans have devolved to where all the drive and aspirations ended at the time of the original Bring Kubo to the Clubhouse meeting. It kind of parallels how that type of fandom itself seems to have evolved into more of a consumerist cult of various otaku fetishes than fans striving to become the next generation of anime creators, or at least the grandiose aspirations of doing so. Sure, Otaku no Video is fairly idealized, and as it's turned out, even Gainax's self has fallen prey to this devolvement of spirit, witnessed practically anything of theirs in the last few years. 
but at least it portrays something a little more grand than the pinnacle of your club's ambitions being a parody doujinshi at Kamefest. Genjik in the anime, I think, works a bit more than the manga, simply for the reasons you spoke of in the review, where timing of scenes and doing them in real time just work better. That whole episode with Madarame stuck in the club room with Saki being a classic example. Saki is to Genshiken as Jimmy Bond is to the lone gunman. How's that for a lame, obscure reference? But basically, yes, Saki is the character in which the creators use to explain, describe the otaku's concepts. Just like the TLG creators expressly said, why would the main characters need to explain concepts that are just amongst themselves? Hmm. I actually never thought of it that way. Thought of what that way? When he talks about how Genshiken is kind of this really sad look at anime fandom when you compare it to Otaku no Video, that the aspirations are just so meager and nothing, really. I actually touched upon that last week as part of my foray into madness, that the zeal just isn't there anymore among anime fans at all. This current generation of fairly normalish people, quote-unquote, by comparison to the last generation, anyway. It's not like they really have those levels of desires. Oh, sure, you hear about people, oh, my dream in life is to be a voice actor, or whatever, things like that. But it's not like you really see a lot of people going the distance. I mean... Do you think it's maybe just that everyone's had their hopes crushed? Yes. Everybody's <laughs> been crushed by the dooming weight of reality. Yeah, I think nobody at this point really believes that, oh, yeah, I could be the next Miyazaki, or we could be the next guy now. Well, all you need to do is get onto, um... Oh god, I forgot his name. Do not play that Thoughtbird sound. All you need to get onto is Scott Frazier's page. It has this big fact about how do I make an anime and things like that. Reason upon reason why, no, you cannot make an anime, you will yeah. never be able to make an anime, you cannot be a voice actor, you will never be a voice actor, end of story, give yeah. it up. Exactly. And it's so incredible to see her talk about that, because Jan Scott Frazier is one of the few Americans who went and did it. Yeah. She went and learned the Japanese and flew over there and got a job as an animator in a studio. And lived and, an absolutely horrible existence as an animator, which right. no American kid in their right mind would want to live. As someone who actually went and did it, she of all people knows how impossible it was to actually do that. And all these people who have their aspirations of, I've got a great idea for an anime, get me Clamp's phone number and we'll make some magic happen. The world doesn't work that way. And so, I think, at the same time, in the formulative days of Gainax, those guys had drive on a level which I have never seen emulated since in fandom anywhere. Oh, man. I, if the I Daikon for animation. Daikon. If I ever see another group of little Japanese fans, or even Americans, that produce something on the level of that Daikon animation. I don't know. I don't think I'll ever see that again. Just to back up, in case people don't know what we're talking about, the way Gainax got started was three guys made this animation. They didn't even have equipment. They had a 35mm camera mm -hmm. and a room. And That's they basically it. held the camera up and drew one cell photograph. Repeat, for nine months, or however long it took. The thing is still incredible and amazing, and it blew people's now, minds. Now, to back up, they did actually go, and they did actually do some animation on Do You Remember Love and all that. They went off and then spent an entire summer working on this, and that short little piece of animation is still one of the most impressive things ever made. Literally. And that you think it would have inspired people to follow suit, but it's just kind of a symbol as opposed to... An inspiration. Is it really fair to compare, let's be honest, freaks like those guys 
Well, we're all the freaks. I mean, talented. the freaks of yesterday were the creators of today. First of all, they had to have talent. I don't think that even most of their contemporaries were on that level. So I don't really know. I feel like they're kind of an exception. Think of it this way, Clarissa. Where did the current generation, the people who are making anime now come from? I like to think that they, too, were highly dedicated fans in their own right, mm-hmm. who eventually came up. But where is the next Oshi, the next Miyazaki, the next Dezaki, etc., well, etc.? I think that it's got a lot to do with the fact that anime is now so much bigger than it was in the 80s. And yeah. that they just cannot dedicate a multi-million dollar project anymore to some yeah. unproven talent. I'm not saying that they did this all the time back in the 80s, but it seems like those they let little research guys, be made. Yeah, the, I mean, <laughs> they were willing to let that happen. It seemed like it almost because the contemporaries don't seem to get that chance to experiment yeah. as much. Yeah, that's something that's really important. I think is just the size of it, especially fandom stuff back in the day, and especially over here, anime was still really tiny. People like Tim Eldred or whatever. It was so tiny that you could know everybody could make connections and you could get in on the ground floor of things. Nowadays, you go to Otakon or AX or whatever and you stand in line with 50,000 other people. You're not going to get to talk to people who make anime. You're not going to get the same kind of opportunities to interface with these people. In a nutshell, it sounds like what's happened here is the whole anime industry, so to speak, has become very much like the video game industry. Yeah. Not that much room for experimentation. You got to go with what's guaranteed to work, and somehow the formula has just sucked the life out of many things. I blame Ava. It's all Ava's fault. I will mention. No, we have a discussion, Gerald. Sorry. No, we we have to mention something, otherwise, we're going to get a lot of emails on this. And that (laughs) Makoto Shinkai is kind of an anomaly. And he's a really good anomaly. He's a good anomaly, and I'm glad he's out there. I just wish there were more of him. And the thing is that it's not like he doesn't have what everybody else has equipment-wise. But I guess it's that right. mental push that, that well, you and need. Talent. I, I don't his know his first yet. movie. I don't think his second one is as good. I don't know what he's doing for a third one. I think that he might have gotten so big so quickly that he might fall into the formula again. Well, as long as Makoto Shinkai doesn't end up making made panty shot harem show in the clouds, <laughs> then I don't know if we have anything much to worry about. <laughs> Other emails. Let's see what we got here. This one is from Tony Elliott. It's about the truth at Anime Central. Hey, all of you at AWO. I apologize for not writing this email sooner. I wanted to write in regarding the truth at Anime Central this year. I have been going to cons regularly since 1999, primarily ASEN, but was unable to go to any in the last year or so to work. I have been listening to your search for the truth and thought that, while humorous, I couldn't recall it being that bad at any of the cons I've attended. Then came this year. (laughs) I don't know if it's because I'm getting old, mid to late 20s. God, mid to late 20s is not, well, I guess in the anime world. But I really noticed a lot of the behavior you have talked about in your search. I don't know if it's just that I'm getting cranky in my old age, but I thought a lot of the behavior very annoying. One other thing I noticed, but you never mentioned, was all the people cosplaying as things completely unrelated to anime. I'm not talking about the cat people or the lolligoss or the yaoi bait you'd expect. Rather, people just characters from Star Wars, Firefly, Family Guy. I don't have a problem with any of these franchises. Actually, I found the one Samurai Stormtrooper rather funny. But they don't really fit in an anime convention. Maybe it's a little elitist of me to think that if people want to cosplay, they should stay in the realm of anime. 
But I wanted to hear your guys' take on this. After this year, I agree in that there should be an 18 plus con set up somewhere. I would prefer to go to one of these and skip all the annoying things you get with a teenage crowd. On a higher note, I was at Anime Hell when they did the recording for you guys. It's the biggest crowd I ever saw for the program. Keep up the good work. Don't let those complain about covering the older anime get to you. I like how you cover stuff that a lot of people have missed. I would never have caught a Patsukiki Musume or Gao Gaigar if you all hadn't pointed them out. Yeah, so, the con stuff. I don't know if it's just an age thing. I think what we're seeing is this grand-scale spreading of the virus that had, at one point, only infected Akon years and years ago. But now, the monkey has gone and escaped <laughs> from the wild, and Dustin Hoffman can't stop it alone. And it spreads pretty much all the other anime cons. And what I'm talking about is the exceedingly greater non-anime influence and coverage at anime conventions. Dave Merrill right. is right. Anime conventions now are kind of just the youth nerd culture It's festival. whatever is popular with it kids. Kind of- what happened to all the cons that are already there for this stuff? Are they disappearing? I think maybe something... For anime fans not know enough about sci-fi fandom or whatever? I know, because whenever you talk to these people, like the J-Rockers or whatever, and even the J-Rockers, he's not even talking about them. He's talking right, about right. the people showing up as Jedi Knights and shit. Yeah, I'm not talking about the Japanese-related stuff, because that yeah. there really isn't other conventions for, for the most part. Yeah, they're just... They show up to the anime con anyway. I don't get it. It, Do you think it's an appeal for attention because the audience for Star Wars and, well, maybe not... That's what they guy, say. But... They always say things like, oh, well, there's an overlap in the audience, or, oh, I'm going to commit a great meta joke because I'm going to show up as Super Mario, or I'm going to show up as Luke Skywalker, and I'll freak everybody out in my Stormtrooper attire, and that'll get me attention, but it's my been understanding done. Was that, my maybe understanding... it was clever the first time. My understanding was that sci-fi conventions are getting smaller and smaller audiences, while the anime conventions were getting larger and larger audiences, so maybe they were just going where the audience was. It does tie into Dave Merrill's idea, like, well, this is just kind of the cool thing to do, is go to the anime con. Yeah. There's a lot more younger people. I notice if you go to a sci-fi con, there's a lot of older folks there. A lot of people who are like, yeah, I was yeah, alive when I- Dark Shadows was on in its first <laughs> run, whereas anime con... If you're in your mid-twenties, you're a relic. Right. <laughs> so I guess that probably factors into it. That could be it. a big part of it. What is the solution to this? In our I'm fantastic imaginary program. land of make-believe, where you won't let anyone who's willing to pay for a ticket into the con, is to just say, hey, screw this you. This an anime con. We like Star Wars, but go to the Star Wars con. I'm sure there's a Family Guy con somewhere or something. There's a saying that those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it. And I am going to have to say that there's a whole bunch of people who don't know history and were doomed to repeat it. Because how did anime cons start, if you think about it? Sci-fi cons. Yeah. And then people were like, oh, we want to do our own thing. And then they started their own thing. And then cons like Akon ended up morphing into these multimedia cons, which is we'll take anybody's money, show up in whatever kink you want. Then other cons splintered off from that and said, hey, fuck you, we want to do an anime con. Klingons, stay home. Vampires, screw you. LARPers, we don't care. Find some other convention. And that's how the anime cons started to take off. And now the pendulum is starting to shift back. So then we need another generation of people who are pissed off with sci-fi fans. Yeah, we need another backlash. Or pissed off with anime fans. One of the two. Well, the sci-fi fans are pissed off with anime fans already. Yeah. We need the backlash of the anti-sci-fi sentiment. (laughs) These are very good subjects that people are bringing to our attention for us to answer. 
yeah. and we're not doing very good jobs. It kind of makes me sad to think that there are these people, especially if it's just that they're young and they're like, oh, the sci-fi convention is just full of old retards or whatever. And attention whores. But it's like they just won't go to the sci-fi cons. Sci-fi fandom could use the new generation of people. There is a very insular nature to those things. If you ever try going to not just a sci-fi convention, but a sci-fi literature convention. Oh. Well, the sci-fi literature stuff has always been way more hardcore. Yeah, but those are in terms of, hey, you damn kids, get off my lawn, level <laughs> people, and people in wheelchairs <laughs> talking about Nam while playing Warhammer 40k. I remember these older anime fans talking about these sci-fi conventions and just saying, basically, that there's nothing that these conventions are actively doing to attract a younger audience, except... Mm -hmm pulling in something that's non-sci-fi related. So I don't really know if it's just maybe a lack of media that's interesting to kids. I know that there is Firefly out there, but are there enough kids watching that? There aren't enough people watching Firefly, period. Yeah. You want to talk about small but exceedingly loud minority of people? Firefly is it. Yep. They had every chance in the world, and I'm not going to say anything bad about Firefly, really, but come on. There's not a whole lot of Firefly fans out there, but if you go on the internet, if you check LiveJournal, if you check podcasts, you'd think that Firefly was the greatest thing and the biggest, most popular thing ever. And it's not. It's just really vocal, dedicated people. That's and anime doesn't really have that, that. I guess that's the answer, then, is that what out there is attracting kids to sci-fi? Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing. But there, even anime, you don't want to know what's attracting kids to anime? The fact that it's free. I mean, how many people would be as big into Naruto and Bleach if it wasn't freely available for download? And I'm sure that there's an element of the Cartoon Network is just showing this, and you can put it on yeah. and watch it. When it comes to sci-fi, I just can't think of anything that kids are watching. Mansquito? <laughs> well, uh, we'd like to think that, wouldn't we? Again, if you really want the example of what we're talking about, just read Answer Man's column on the Anime News Network. Hey, can you guys write to the Japanese to complain about the filler arc for us? Filler arc that we're watching, thanks to BitTorrent. We're technically stealing your show, but we want to complain even though we're spending no money. He lights into those people very well, and we salute him for that. I don't know, there's no easy answer as to why we're relics. I guess it's just because <laughs> we care, and the fact that we care is what kills us. I thought this entire podcast was about not caring. No, it's about trying really hard not, not to care. To care. <laughs> Got another email here from... It's a really good username. It's, I, I don't have Akira Kamiya's vocal range to say this, but it's... <laughs> and then the subject is, I love you. Hi guys, love your show. I have a question for you. Otakon 2005 was my first ever anime con. My friend and I felt a little out of place being 23 having watched Full Metal Alchemist two years ago, and not wearing a Naruto headband. Good for you. With your seemingly infinite wisdom of anime cons, is Otakon considered a good one to go to, or are there lower-key cons out there at the same quality in the Mid-Atlantic region? I'm not so much a fan of all the high schoolers or insane amount of cosplay. Hate to break it to you, but that's every con. I feel a little dirty having to stand in line behind a 14-year-old girl wearing next to nothing and thinking, in four more years, I think I'd hit that. I'd kill for an 18-plus con like you guys were talking about in an early show. Hell, 21-plus would be even sweeter with booze available. You're not going to avoid the kids, as we were just talking about. They're the majority of the people there now. But, yeah. with regards to Otakon, I've never been to Otakon. Gerald goes to Otakon every yeah, year. Yeah, the thing is, when you go to a smaller con, you get better access to whatever guests they've got. However, they usually don't get the big-name guests. Right. 
there's fewer people at the smaller con. On the other hand, the bigger con is the, exactly the opposite. You get bigger people, but there's enormous numbers of people there. You're never going to get access, and the range is much wider. On a smaller con, you've got a couple of loony people there, and at a big con, you've got the same percentage, but there's thousands more people, so you get a much wider range of just the utter worst depravity of anime fandom. I never wanted to go to Otakon. I'm going this year just because I figure I may as well go once. I never really was into the concept of the bigger conventions like the Otakons and the Anime Expos because of exactly what Gerald said. Sure, you get the bigger guests, but who cares? You're not going to be able to talk to them. You're not going to be able to maybe even get your autograph signing done because at that point there's so many people there they have to hold lotteries to see you know who chosen people get their autographs. The added hassle of having to wait in line for hours on end. I'm not terribly looking forward to it more than any other con of the year, even though it's going to cost more for me to attend it than every other con put together. In terms of lower-key cons out there in the Mid-Atlantic region... If you go to anime-cons.com... That lists every anime con... In the world. Yeah. I liked Katsukon. That's a larger con, but it's not in the Otakon level. I really like Anime Weekend Atlanta. That's my favorite con of the year. That's more in the southeast. Not really the mid-Atlantic. Here's my opinion regarding the ideal convention size. If it's too big, then it's all the problems I just said. But if it's too small, there's nothing to do. Yeah. I think that the cons the size of Anime Week in Atlanta, Katsukon, those are the ideal size. And by those, I mean there's like 7,000 people there. We've all been to that small con where the entire con is based around that one Saturday night thing that happens. And then after that, there's nothing. The reason I recommend the larger cons is actually because of one of the detriment things you mentioned. There's the same percentage of people there, but at larger conventions, that percentage results in a greater number of people. If you're at a convention where there's 7,000 people, then if only 1% of the people care about the kind of things that we're talking about on this podcast, that's still enough people to give programming to in a room somewhere. So you have something to do. Whereas if you don't care about cosplay at all, and you go to a small con, you're, you're out of luck. So uh, I hope that helps. Definitely check out anime-cons.com. If you go to any of those cons, give us a report or something on your experience. Yeah. Other podcasts, real podcasts, other anime podcasts, they have fans that are dedicated, fans that'll call in and say, hey, I just went to so-and-so con over the weekend, here is my report on it, or here's some news that happened, panel recordings of things. We need um, a network of operatives. I need, personally, for the truth, I need a network of Trevor Hineses. Little kids who will let me feed lines into their earpiece, and they can just ask whatever. That's what I need. AWO agents. Recorders going around conventions, finding the truth out. This is the fight club aspect of things. We need to make the Project Mayhem happen. That way, pretty soon, we can get banned from conventions we've never even been to. Yes! (laughs) <laughs> That's when we'll know we've made it. That's the other thing about the bigger anime cons. They have to kowtow to their corporate masters. The fun level goes but down see, then, quite a bit. Are you ever going to see Clamp at anything smaller than Anime Expo or Otakon? We're going to see them in the sense that if you get a set of binoculars, you'll see some people sitting at a table far, far away. What well, better are, are you going to get? Nobody's going to give you the opportunity to sit down to lunch with them or to really sit there and talk with them. There so, are book depositories and sniper rifles, Clarissa. <laughs> so you might as well take what you can get. 
I guess that's what Carl Horn was getting at. Really, anime fans have taken what they can get. All right. We keep getting emails from Alex McCree, who's the 12-year-old kid who watches hentai. Keeps emailing us asking us to play his discipline reading, and we haven't done it because he did the same thing that somebody else did. We'd do Christian Daly's one first, since he beat you to the punch, Alex. But now he's up the ante. He's doing voicemails now. And we're going to have to play this, because he says something very important that everyone needs to pay attention to. Hey, everybody. It's me, Alex McCree. Thanks for reading my emails, and I hope you got my discipline reading. I wonder what you guys think of AMV Hell 3. I think you guys should check it out. Also, Daryl, I think you're the best in the show. Okay, bye. It reminds me of that segment in Animaniacs way back in the day where the little kid would walk out to the curb and say something stupid. (laughs) Okay, bye. And then he just walks away. I remember those. Yeah. AMV Hell, what's your take on it? I'm the only person here who watches AMVs. I don't watch AMVs in practice, but I've seen the AMV Hells. I guess it's got Kenshiro killing dudes set to Queen. (laughs) But as a rule, AMVs aren't really my thing, and I thought a lot of the jokes were reused a little too much, especially in Hell Zero. As with the case with anything where you have that many people, it's pretty up and down. Yeah, Um, very much like those DDR project things where they'd get 40 people. Yeah. Alex McCree has sent us, like, five emails or something like that. Talking, hey, A and B, Hell 3, Hell 3, Hell 3. And it's like, all right, whatever. I don't watch regular music videos, folks. I've, we've established <laughs> that I don't know anything about pop culture, except when I say something that's a reference to something really stupid, which is roughly every three minutes on this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, I think Clarissa's the only one who ventures outside of the anime fandom here, really. Well, that's because we've got secret hidden pictures of her dressed as Tessigen 28. <laughs> and she's just Curse trying to deny. Have to tell people about that. All right, that's enough of these emails, which you barely <laughs> read any. We'd better do the news for this week. Let's news. Working to restore power. And this week we have a lot of very small bits of news that kind of came to interest to me. The first one, which is just a really quick mention, that Ganeon has licensed Zapang. And the only reason that we really mention this is because we actually reviewed Zapang some shows ago and we've gotten some emails about it. Generally, pretty favorable of it. That's going to probably be released, I don't know, next year or something like that. What are the and- odds that Zapang is going to be another fighting spirit or new Getter Robo or various other good show that Genion released, but nobody bought, like Tetsujin 28. I would say it's absolutely definite that it'll be one of those types of shows. Yeah, because it's 100% just, chance. Yeah, there's just really not that much interest in a kind of serious, downbeat, military show made for adults. Sad but true. I'm yeah. actually surprised that they licensed it at all. It's a good show, and I'd like for people to watch it, but nobody bought Master Keaton... Most of the good things that Genion's released, with the exception of a few things like Paranoia Agent and some Lupin the Third, just has not been doing well for him. Especially Fighting Spirit, or Hajime no Ippo. That's such a colossal failure that they don't even sell it in stores anymore. And then when you go to cons, the rep is always like, how come you guys aren't buying this? Because it's pretty damn expensive. 75 episodes and you're not buying that one just get a time? Yeah. 
which is why I don't own it yet. The same here, and I love Hajime no Ippo. Yeah. Oh, I, I love, love it. But, but 75 episode show, even five episodes at a time, the episode count per individual disc is fine, but the style of releasing it is just not the way to go. You gotta get 13 or so at a time. The numbers that I would be willing to pay for the amount of episodes is completely unrealistic, given yeah. the hard limitations of the industry, like, well, it costs this much to do it, and it has to sell for this much, else we'll make money, but at the same time, I haven't bought it. I'm gonna wait for, like, a thin pack or a brick something, because it's gonna be cheaper per episode that way. Yeah. And another bit of information, there's going to be a Suspiria anime. This is supposedly going to be based on the Dario Argento's horror movie of the same name. The bad news is it's going to be done by Gonzo. So, so it's, it's going to be like the Witchblade anime. Hmm. Not like Witchblade was the best source material in the first place. <laughs> but once again, the show versus the comic or even that TV now, show. Now is this a series or a movie? I got the impression that it was a series, but it kind of confuses me because Suspiria is so well known for being really, really gory. Maybe it's going to be another Gantz. Maybe that's what they're banking on. Maybe it's going to be one of those where you get half the episode on TV and the other half on the DVD. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a theatrical release, because how many theatrical releases has Gonzo done? Like, straight-up movies. Yeah, it seems strange to me that they would take a movie like that and expand it out into a series. Like, I don't really quite get how that's going to work or what the point is. It's a very strange choice. Why... Yeah, it's a good point, but I don't think that we have much information. All I have is the director. It says series editor, so I'm assuming that there's actually a series to this. I don't really think that there would be that sort of gore that the Suspiria was known for on Japanese TV. Yeah. I don't know. And in a little bit of other news, Gainax is going to release a theatrical-run compilation movie. I don't know why they still do these in Japan, but they do, of... Aim for the Top Gunbuster, the first one that was released in 1989 and 1990, and Aim for the Top 2, Die Buster, the, uh, the song. <laughs> you don't even want to say the word sequel. You want to try and say it, but it's like the brain <laughs> won't allow you oh, God. on any level that this is supposed yeah. to be a follow-up to Gunbuster. I'm just, I can't even s Spawn of Satan, that's as good as I can do. And they're going to put these together... I don't really know how that's going to work. I mean, that's maybe it'll... Like the longest movie. I don't know how they're going to edit it. And that also, the styles from 1989-1990 with the yeah. Haruhiko Mikimoto look, and then from the 2005 with, yeah, the Furikuri, I forgot the character designer's name, they're so juxtapositioned. And also, even the directing style is just totally different. It will feel just yeah, really weird. Yeah, the, the two just don't really mesh at all. The thing is, you're asking why do they still make these compilation movies, and the only guess I can possibly offer is that people are still thinking, you know, way back when Gundam, Star Blazers, these things weren't that big originally, then we did the compilation theatrical movie, and that's when it became huge. Maybe we can do the same thing here. That's my only guess. Is Gunbuster 2 maybe not doing very well? I don't know. Who's Do you know anyone who's talking about Gunbuster 2, I, but... I heard a couple of Foodie Cootie fans talking about it, but I don't know any original Gunbuster fans who are liking this this show at all. As far as I know, That's it's the only thing that Kunihiko Ikihara has worked on in years. 
even if Gunbuster 2 is good, I doubt that the original Gunbuster fans would like it just because the style is so different. I think they just shouldn't have called it Gunbuster. That's an enormous thing to live up to and then do what they did and then create something that really... Oh, forget about it. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I but don't know. In terms of a compilation movie, I could see maybe you could do a compilation movie of just the original Gunbuster and yeah. probably have it work. I can see it take, being taken down to like uh, 90 minutes. Yeah, you could uh, I mean, I can even see... But two separate series, I just and that don't see that. Yeah. That look totally different, that feel very different. I don't know. You were the one, Daryl, that saw the Zeta Gundam movie, didn't you? Zeta Gundam what? movies, yeah. I saw, I believe, at least at least the first two. I don't know if the third one's out yet. I'm going to say I haven't seen it, if it is. They took the animation from, animation. like, 20-some years ago. or 21 years ago, I believe. Okay. And then the new scenes they animated were done using modern digital animation techniques, updated character designs. Wow. Man. Because I admitted this last episode that I don't really care that much about the art, it didn't strike me as exceedingly jarring, but the difference, you can see it. It's very clear. There's no question when there's the new footage versus the old footage, and it's cutting rapidly between it, or if this scene was spliced in to do something, and that's almost the difference that you're going to see in Die Buster, except the difference between Gunbuster and Die Buster is way more. It is two totally different shows. And at least when Carl Masek would do the whole multiple different shows, he'd at least get things that looked kind of similar, and were made around the same time, usually from the same people, and then he'd say, yeah, I can fool people into thinking the Robotech Masters are trying to warn people about the parasitic invid, or whatever the hell. And on that subject of Gunbuster, not, well, and Gundam, sort of, Toru Furuya is going to be at Anime Expo. That's really awesome because, I mean, that's the voice of Amuro Ray, Mr. 80s himself, basically. Yeah, yeah he's Kyosuke Kasuga from Commodore yes. Orange Road, a show I never liked, but it's starting to go out of print now because Anime Ego's lost. End the... of July. Toru Furuya is just, his resume is terrifying. It's just in everything. Yeah, yeah. Meizani Koku, he was Godai. I'm sure, and name stuff that he was Mamoru Chiba in Sailor Moon. Yeah, Tuxedo Mask. Yeah, right. just tons and tons of things. And if you're going to Anime Expo, go and see this guy. Yeah. He's just done so much stuff. Anyway, go and see this guy. It's a big deal. And last, there was recently a list released of the top-selling anime of the year so far. I'll quickly go through this list. This and is here, right? Yeah, this in is the in US. America. And I'll start at 10. And number 10 is Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex Second Gig, Volume 3. Number 9 is The Dub Only of Naruto. Number 8 is Full Metal Alchemist, Volume 8. Number 7 is Full Metal Alchemist, Volume 7. Whisper mm. of the Heart, Samurai Shampoo, Volume 7. Whispers of the Heart is guaranteed to get you laid. As, as we said last episode. Last episode. <laughs> number 4 is. Ah! Chorus. Number three is Dragon Ball Z Fusion Reborn. Number two is Howl's Moving Castle. And number one was well, Perfectual Earth Defense Force. Oh, yes. So right. Yes, well, I knew no. it. I had faith in this restored in anime fandom, in the industry, in people, in humanity. Thank you, anime people. Perfectual Earth Defense Force, finally getting uh. the respect and accolades it deserves. What, Gerald? Oh, oh, wait. I was reading that wrong. Oh, it, it's Advent Children. I'm sorry. Oh, shit-ass motherfuck bitch. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> and I was so sure, too. What the hell? Oh, well. 
But yeah, if you take a look at this list, it kind of confirms what a lot of the anime industry has been saying, and that yeah. you have a couple of these shows like FMA, Full Metal Alchemist, and Dragon Ball Z that are just the big sellers, and nothing else is on. I bet that not even a reasonably big show is even in the top twenty. Those shows sell everything, and everything else sells nothing. But fuck you, people, for buying Advent Children. I like to extend a special thank you to everybody who bought Karis. Ugh. Thus ensuring that we will see more Karis. And I'll be first in line. I want to see more sequences that cost a million dollars just so the director could get his fucking name on the screen. It's so That's... you remember the name. Dude, I'm going to do it if I ever make a student film. I'm going to just sprinkle a bunch of sugar out in the yard and then just get it to say, Terrell Sarad. And it's going to take five minutes, and the movie will be seven minutes long? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, exactly. We, 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 no, no, no speeding up time, no time-lapse photography. This is a very important thing. And I can thank Gerald for bringing to light that it's such an effective tool, because I thought nothing of it the first God. three times I'd seen it. Man. That's pretty much it for the news, so, well, that's the news, and on to Prefectural Earth Defense Force. By way of Crusher Joe. Okay, fine, I'll do Crusher Joe! Okay. First, these messages. <laughs> okay. Hi, this is Apocalypse Dow, and I'd like to tell you about my podcast novel, Brace for Impact. This novel follows the story of Apocalypse Dow, hey, that's me, and Mikaloha, my arch enemy, as we join forces to journey across the country for a common cause. Along the way, we encounter truckers, pro wrestlers, robots, ghosts, sex-craved middle-aged Japanese women, insane farmers, a plot to destroy the internet, and midget cowboys. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can check out the website at www.freepodcastnovel.com or do a search for Brace for Impact in the directories. Thanks a lot. segments, I'm going to take a look at a sci-fi classic that came out probably 23 years ago, including its sequel that came out 18 years ago or so. The reason that I'm doing this review is that I was directly inspired by Teleport City and our buddy over there, Keith, who did a review of this same show. I completely forgot that I had this on my shelf and realized that it was one of my absolute favorite shows out there. And the show in question is Crusher Joe. Crusher Joe is so fucking amazing that if you guys want to stop this review right now and go out and buy it, I won't be offended. It's $10. And I'm sure if you go to a con, you can find it for less than 10 Crusher Joe is the creation of Haruka Takachio, and he is most well-known in America, at least, as being the creator of The Dirty Pair. But he actually wrote Crusher Joe first. Crusher Joe was originally a series of novels. They started with Crisis on Planet Pizan that was released in 1977, the very first movie of Crusher Joe came out in 1983, and it was followed by 
two unrelated OAVs in 1988 and 1989 that were named the Ice Prison and the Ultimate Weapon Ash. Crusher Joe, I kind of consider it the very first part of the Yoshikazu Yasuhiko trilogy. Yoshikazu Yasuhiko... Didn't he work on Gundam before that, though? He did, but he didn't direct Gundam. I That's see. what I mean. Yoshikazu Yasuhiko was originally an illustrator for Haruka Takachio's novels of Crusher Joe and Dirty Pear. He would later go on to become a character designer for the original Gundam series. Crusher Joe the movie was the very first movie that Sunrise ever released. Original movie, I should say. Yoshikazu Yasuhiko directed this. He also co-wrote the storyline, and he was the character designer for this. Apparently, it was so well-received that a couple of years later, he did a movie called Arion. Arion is so fucking good that I will do a review of it in the future. It's one of those movies that there is no good reason on Earth why that has not been licensed here. And a few years later, then, he would work on Venus Wars, which is probably the weakest of the three. And so naturally, that's the one that gets shown on sci-fi Saturday anime. Of course. First of all, the world of Crusher Joe. Crusher Joe is set very far in the distant future, somewhere like the 22nd century or so. And it's a very sci-fi opera setting. Lots of planets, lots of people flying around, warp drives, things like that. And the uh, universe is basically policed by the United Space Force. Anyway, if you're encountered with a job that you just can't deal with, well, you call in the Crushers. And Crusher Joe is the most famous of these Crushers. Now, the Crusher Joe team itself consists of Talos, who is a very large and mature cyborg, Alfin, who is a female with an extremely affluent background. She was actually the princess in the very first Crusher Joe book. Ricky, the uh, very antsy kid, and Dongo, the Maybot, or looks just like a robot to me. And Dongo is actually a pretty interesting robot because he's always seen, at least in the novels, he's always seen reading porn. And Joe's but, the leader of this team, because he's Joe, the whiniest! Daryl is referring to a very old dub of Crusher Joe, and this is a very different release. Basically, a Crusher is hired help. When you're at your last resort, you call on these people, and basically they do anything from destroying a planet, or ending a civil war, to delivering a package. But they're extremely, extremely expensive, and you have to have a pretty good reason to use them. Space Golga 13. <laughs> Actually, a lot of people have compared the Crusher Joe team to Cowboy Bebop. Now, the storyline in the Crusher Joe movie and both of the OAVs is really something very interesting. They were all written by Haruka Takachio, and they are all very complex storylines. This is sci-fi action, but it's not really stupid sci-fi action. The storyline of the movie opens with these rather evil-looking people who are in a uh, car chase on the highway, and they, they're trying to smuggle what appears to be a woman in cryogenic sleep. And instantly it cuts to this montage of the entire Crusher Joe team blowing up an asteroid. And this is just how they're introduced into the show. And then it cuts to the Crusher Joe team now, who are basically being asked by this servant representative of this very highly established aristocratic family. This guy is asking if they could deliver a young lady to this other planet on the other side of the universe in order to help cure her disease. And the, the Crusher team are kind of weary of this because basically this is just transporting a person. It's not a big deal. Why would they pay for the Crushers to do this? So they load up this woman in cryogenic sleep and they go into light speed and then something horrible goes wrong. And plaid suddenly the. It's close to the plaid zone, actually. The, the, kind of the same effects. 
basically the entire team blanks out. And they suddenly wake up to discover that the young lady and the guy, the, the representative, are both gone. And that they're on the other side of the galaxy. And that they've all used almost no energy from their spaceship. And they're in a really seedy trading route. And they're right in front of a giant space cruiser for the United Space Force. So, naturally, they're boarded. And they're confronted by this guy that acts a lot like Inspector Zenigata, which is kind of appropriate because he's voiced by Goro Naya, the voice of Zenigata. This guy accuses them of piracy, and they are now hauled away, but there's not enough proof, so they're released quickly. They have their crusher licenses suspended for six months. So, in order to feel better about this, they go to a disco, because in the 22nd century there will be discos exactly like there were in 1982. Of course! Exactly. Just like in the Hanna-Barbera wacky races, they'd go to Space Disco in the later ones, because they figured oh, that was God. the key to getting... Yeah, Space Disco. <laughs> but anyway, in a very strange scene, they basically destroy this disco, and are then confronted by... Do they deflect by... a rocket with a tray? Kind of equivalent stuff. But anyway, Talos is then confronted by an old friend of his who informs them that they've been duped, and they've been the victims of piracy. Real piracy. And what I've described... Like piracy? <laughs> or One Piece piracy. Now, what I've described is about the first 15 or 20 minutes of the movie. It's a really complex plot, and I'm not even really scratching the surface of this. To go any more into it would probably be spoilers, but it really takes a lot of twists and a lot of turns at every point. Now, the storyline for the first OAV, which is called The Ice Prison, is not as complex, but really, really good. And one thing I don't understand, I actually I do understand it, but it's kind of surprising, is that The Ice Prison was the very last Mystery Anime 3000 thing used at Otakon. And apparently the reason that they used it was because there just wasn't anything really left. They were Actually, for... I have the exact words from the Otakon chair, because didn't Ryan Gavigan actually yes, he, send it he, to us? He did email us, and basically... There wasn't anything left that met the criteria because there were things like MD Guys 2, which were too awful, things like Legend of Lemnir that were too dirty, and other things that were just too long. He said that Crusher Joe the Ice Prison was the perfect choice. He said that was the absolute ideal thing for Mystery Anime Theater 3000. I don't see it as being a bad movie at all. Let's just read what he wrote. This was an email that was posted to the Otakon mailing list a very long time ago from Joe Faring. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to say what Gerald just said. He said, It's becoming harder to find suitable material for Mystery Anime Theater 3000 because things that were too long drags the show out too long. Things with objectionable content was just not good for the crowds. And other things were just too awful for the eyes and ears of man. So Crusher Joe, to him, was the perfect balance and the final thing they did, and so that's why they went out on the top because Crusher Joe was the ideal thing to make fun of. I really don't understand if they chose it because they thought it was bad, or if they chose it because they thought it was parodyable. He said it was that happy medium. Not too short, not too long, not too graphic, not too painful. Yeah, I really don't understand, because I think The Ice Prison is awesome, and it's got one of the best fucking endings I've seen in a sci-fi action anime. And as good as the Crusher Joe the movie is, and as much as I like The Ice Prison, the ultimate weapon, Ash, is so much better than anything else. And that is not saying that the other ones are bad at all. And the Ash the Ultimate Weapon is just so, so good. 
it's a shame that more people haven't seen it. Is that the first OAV? That is the second OAV. Oh, okay. I actually have a sell from that. I got it for $10 from Dave Merrill. Cool. Real cool. But the storyline of Ash the Ultimate Weapon is basically about this Major Tanya. She is fighting off these really bad people who are trying to take this weapon from her. And all you know is that it's the size of a briefcase and is linked to her wrist. Now, the president of this galaxy, through this very elaborate plot, which involves him poisoning himself, is able to meet up with the Crusher team subversely and basically hands them this information about this weapon. This galaxy that he is the head of is right on the verge of peace, but this weapon is just too much and just really shouldn't exist. And they find out that this weapon, like I said, can fit in a briefcase, and once it's activated, it will kill every single living thing on the planet. So the job of the Crushers are then to rescue Major Tanya and to destroy Ash. Now, they have to go to this planet called Planet Davidoff in order to get rid of this Ash weapon. And many years ago, they had a, they had a civil war on this planet where they used these little things called cloakers. Cloakers are kind of like, how should I explain it? They're these Alien little face huggers? Very much so. They are basically a landmine that can run around and grab onto your face. And the thing is that they're biological, so they have actually evolved over time. And when they see something, they'll latch out these like tentacles, wrap around your neck, grab over your head, and kill you instantly. They're really, really awesome little things. Now, the Crushers have to deal with these things, which are... Well, they had a sequence where they showed the spaceship that the Crushers were supposed to go into. And the cloakers were as numerous as mosquitoes around this thing. If you were to go onto Anime News Network and read a review of Crusher Joe, you'd probably think it was pretty bad. I should really just sum up that review in one line. It's bad because it's old. I don't really know what this guy is on, because the animation in this is fantastic. It's very fluid, it's got a lot of action to it, it's got a lot of color. There is a, a notable difference between the 1983 version and the 1988 and 89 versions, but it's not anything to complain about. I think what he means, and what anyone usually means when they say something is old, is it's always character designs. It's never the animation quality. He mentioned the animation quality specifically. He said that it was jerky at times. I don't know what he's talking about. This guy also did a review of Saint Seiya, where I think he basically said the same thing, where it's yeah. bad because it's old. I think there was a dirty pair one also. There are people who say, like, oh, the new Astro Boy was bad because it looked old, or the new Cyborg 009 was bad because it looked old, and a giant robot attached in 28, and they're always and going just on the fact that they use the original character designs. I mean, I've seen people say that about motherfucking Metropolis. Basically, if you don't want to watch this because it's old, then just fuck you, because this really is fantastic. You can buy this thing all together in one pack. Animigo released the entire thing as the movie and the OAVs. Retail, this thing is about 20 bucks. And it was about 20 bucks about five years ago, or four years ago or so. You're not you going to find thing. it in stores, though. No, you won't. You have to order this off of Animigo's website. I've seen other places online. If you check pricegrabber.com, there's about seven or eight places that are selling it. But it is so cheap. It is so worth it. The dub of this was done by Coastal Carolina Studios. So it's a really good dub, too, if you don't want to watch the sub for whatever reason. Incidentally, Michael Brady, when he was describing how he was the voice of Joe in the dub, he'd throw in the qualifier, not the dub where it was like, I'm the leader of this team because I'm the whiniest! Exact words. It's very good to know that Michael Brady knew about bad American dubbing. I don't know if I've really said enough good things about this show, because really, this is 
the tip-top best sci-fi action anime that is out there. The best deal that you'll ever get for sci-fi action. I know a lot of old-school fans who have no idea that this thing exists. Almost no new fans know this exists. I know people that were fans of this and didn't even know it was licensed for a long time. When did you Animigo, first see Crusher Joe? I saw this probably around 97 or so, 98. I have it on VHS. Okay, old, so, old VHS copy. So you'd seen a fan sub of it a long time ago and then you got the licensed one? Or? No, I only saw the licensed one. You only one. saw the licensed one. It's a shame that Animigo didn't push this more and that more people don't know about this. So, really, go out there, go to Animigo's website, it's just an awesome show to watch. The movie is two hours, or actually over two hours long. You're going to be so glad when you see The Ultimate Weapon Ash. That is one of the most awesome sci-fi action things I have ever seen. You won't regret it. Clarissa, do you own this one? Crusher Joe? No. I don't own it either, actually. Gerald's the only one of us who owns it. I get the feeling that Crusher Joe is one of those things that... If it were to be released today, I don't know if I'd give it a second look. I get that, actually, from a lot of people. I mean, even our buddy Keith on Teleport City mentioned that he wasn't really that interested in seeing it at all. He I thought he up. was saying he wasn't really interested in seeing it because he said he thought Crusher Joe was a dumb name. And that he just never bothered to pick it up and watch it. Or he looked at the blurb or he looked at the DVD and was like, eh, I don't really want to watch this. And then A lot of down. people, I think, just skip it because of its name. Maybe. I remember watching it long ago, and I really don't remember anything about it. It's not to say it was awful, but it just it didn't leave any sort of impression on me at all. And I'm That's not sure sad. why. It's just like, okay, Crusher Joe, whatever. Only things I really remember about Crusher Joe are the scenes in Bad American Dubbing because of the things that I'm making fun of it. It's like, yeah, oh, there was another edit in there, was there? You know, things like th- that. That's unfortunate, because if the legacy of Crusher Joe is an awful dub, that's pretty unfortunate. That is an awful dub and has to be seen by a lot of people, but really everyone needs to see the original thing. I don't really remember being blown away by the action sequences. I don't remember thinking that the story was really complex, even though what you described sounds complex. It, it, I almost wanted to say maybe it's shonen action show complex. No, this like, isn't that. Kind of like Saint Seiya or Dragon Ball Z or whatever, where it. No, this, this isn't artificially complex. Every, every single thing in there has got... I couldn't sum up the storyline in, like, one sentence, like, you know, Goku fights this guy. Okay. I couldn't do that. N- not with Crusher Joe. It's just too complicated. And it's not convoluted complicated either. I think maybe it might be the anime version of the Chronicles of Riddick. <laughs> Fuck you. Where it, phenomenal visual design. Plotline. Not really cookie cutter or that bad didn't really what? grab a lot of people but it's still really cool yes <laughs> this is what crusher joe is i wish That's... i could see the look on gerald's face right now yes oh it's just sad if that you liked the... chronicles of riddick crusher joe <laughs> no is for you one step one kill stop oh, it okay i'm sorry for a stop I'm sorry i i can't That's... I, I love the Chronicles of Riddick too much. I can't stop. Th- I have to rewatch it now, even though it's going to be like two in the morning. It's, it's too good a film. They're, they need to make the other two sequels. And then they need to bring back Crusher Joe and cross him over. Crusher Riddick. That yes. I might watch. I'm going on to the other side of the spectrum. I guess I'll go up next. 
with my review of the more often overlooked, <laughs> if Crusher Joe's often overlooked, Professional Earth Defense Force is the more often overlooked. Oh, no, it's not. The title. More people know about PEDF than Crusher Joe? Yes. Really? Yes. More, many more people. Maybe now. Anyway, we'll be right back. All right, and now it's time for something that we've been meaning to talk about for quite some time. In fact, we have been talking about it in previous episodes of the show. I think even in the first episode we were... Perfectural Earth Defense Force. Really overlooked little OAV from the 80s. A lot of people have been saying for years, this is never going to come out in America. No one's ever going to release it here. Once again, just like pretty much everything that we say... It's never going to come out down here. It's come out down here. In a you know, sense. L-O-G-H will never get Yeah, yeah. That's here. the next thing. All you have to do is just keep saying it'll never come out and then it'll happen. Never so, Legend of Galactic Heroes. No one's got the guts. Because we'll never release the rest of the Blackjack manga. No one will ever re-release correctly Cyborg 009. Ever. We're never going to see the rest of Fist of the North Star, the manga, the Master Edition. No one will ever put out more Hongi Omoto. Oh, well, that's actually true. Aim for the ace. The anime will never get. No, no, no. It's a course of broke the chain. She ruined it for us again. Yeah, Uh, unfortunately. But yeah, perfectual Earth Defense Force. (laughs) (laughs) It's basically this one-shot OAV. It was originally, presumably, going to be multiple OAVs, but we only got the one. It's based off this manga, pretty short-running gag manga from back in the early '80s. Didn't run for very long, four volumes or something like that. Basically. It's a total spoof kind of shtick comedy, like Mel Brooks kind of movie, like a Zucker Brothers kind of movie. That's the style of humor Perfectual Earth Defense Force is. Excel Saga, but consistently funny? ADV's DVD of it, it actually says, before there was Excel Saga, there was Perfectual Earth Defense Force. And I'll get into the logic behind that advertising in a minute. But what the heck is Perfectual Earth Defense Force about? We've been talking about it ever since this podcast began. We've never really gone into it. And the reason we never really went into it is because the plot of this thing is not terribly important. If you really got to know, PEDF is about a guy named Carmi Santin, who is probably the only anime character I could ever cosplay as ever. Because he's (laughs) an Indian guy. Except somehow he's got blonde hair and blue eyes. Anime, folks. Anyway, through a bizarre mishap, he ends up being turned into a cyborg after a traffic accident because the doctor's hand slipped. That's the kind of jokes this thing's going for, and it's just (laughs) rapid-fire nonstop. It's like, how did you mess that up and turn this guy into a cyborg after he hit his head or whatever? It's like, I don't know, I just slipped. Sorry. I always wanted to make the $6 million man, and this was my chance. And very much like Lucille and Samurai Pizza Cats, the result ends up being that he has missiles in his body that he can just fire whenever he gets mad. This ends up coming into play because there's an evil organization out there 
called the Telephone Pole Gang. Or, as the subtitles in the 80s really say, the Telephone Pole Group. The idea of the Telephone Pole Group is that all those other evil organizations are stupid. They all try to take over the world, and they all attack Tokyo first. And they always get beat back. We're going to do this the smart way. Aha. Uh-huh. We're going to start with the outerlying prefectures first, and work our way up. So, to oppose them is the Prefectural Earth Defense Force, which is three high school students and a teacher, basically, <laughs> plus this one cyborg guy who they just find on the street, except he hates Japan and everything related to Japan. No explanation is given why he was even in Japan. <laughs> the whole thing is just a rapid-fire series of just gag after gag after gag. A lot of times you actually have to stop and freeze-frame things because a joke is only on screen for just that long. Yeah, just a frame. Very common back in the 80s, but is now completely gone because of Pokemon. Literally, very, very that literally. That is exactly it's, it's the reason, because of Pokemon. And people who supposedly got seizures, but years later they found out that whole thing about people getting seizures from Pokemon was a hoax. So, so we lost a really great little thing because of a hoax. Yeah. That's nice. In terms of how this thing ends up being, this is otaku material at its finest. Not just because of the jokes, of which there's several tons of references to things like Cyborg 009 or... Attack uh, Number 1 is my favorite. Attack Number 1, which was a volleyball anime, a sports Actually, anime. Actually, I'm really sorry it's not Attack Number 1. It's uh, Star, Star of the, the Giants. Giants is what you were I'm thinking. sorry, I got, yeah. it, I got it wrong. Baseball anime. Yeah, that's what I was. That was, that was my one of my favorite scenes. I was just hoping that, hmm, yeah, maybe there was an attack number one joke in there. And <laughs> Gerald got it, and I didn't. Could have been. Could have been, but yeah, lots of baseball, sports, anime cliches being sent up in this, and just jokes after jokes after jokes, just like XL Saga. Actually, in terms of jokes being difficult to get, XL Saga actually has a lot of really hardcore jokes that ordinary people wouldn't get, and this is very much the same way. Lots of violence, lots of things blowing up, but it's total Looney Tunes-style violence. Nobody gets mm-hmm. badly hurt in this ever, despite constant things being blown up, missiles flying around everywhere. Another otaku material kind of sense. There's a lot of effects in PEDF, and by that I mean the missiles flying around, the camera work, the whole look of it, that classic 80s sci-fi anime look that you don't see anywhere anymore. Crusher Joe is one of the epitomes of this. Mm-hmm. I can't really explain it. A lot of Project Echo. Yeah, Project Echo is another one that yeah. has that look. They had these very sort of typically 80s scenes where they would animate the entire cell, like a character moving through the house from his perspective. Yeah, in terms of the camera work, yes, they're moving around the camera, animating the entire cell, doing things with the camera that you don't see anymore. I don't think you can blame it on the move from cell animation to digital. It's not like you couldn't still do this look today. They talk about that in the commentary. Yeah. And a lot of the reason for it is because that was really, really hard work. It, yeah, it was It was unbelievably work. hard work. It was those scenes that you would see there, this, like, two-second piece of animation was one guy for months and months at his desk just drawing this out. Yeah. The whole thing is maybe 45 minutes long. And within that, there's three separate episodes. So, quick four. little... Four. Four, technically, but the fourth one is more like just a 30-second little <laughs> joke. Three episodes, mainly 10, 15 minutes apiece. Just rapid-fire jokes, and right as you start thinking, okay, this will start to get old, 
it just goes to the next premise. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the edge that it has over something like XL Saga, which admittedly the episodes to that were maybe only 20 minutes long. It's the kind of thing where I can only watch a little bit at a time. And PEDF is short. If it went on for a very long time, maybe it might have worn thin. At the mm-hmm. same time, I'm wishing there was more. Maybe a short three-part OAV might have been kind of cool for this. Yeah. That's, I would prefer to have more and want more than have too much. Yeah. Because how many things can you think of where, oh, they keep making it, and then it just gets bad, and then it ends up sucking for longer than it was ever good, <laughs> and the whole thing gets tarnished as a result? And yeah. Yeah. Too many things have Fonzie jump in the shark. <laughs> anyway, the thing about Perfectual Earth Defense Force that's kind of weird is that when ADV first announced this, we were ecstatic about it. Wow. Who'd have thought they'd ever release this thing? Because the DVD is subtitled only. There's no dub. There is a commentary track, a really informative one, with Matt Greenfield and David, David Williams, Williams and, and Janice, Janice Williams. Williams. And they're very much the old-time fans who've been dying to release this forever. These are the guys. They You can see that they actually bought the Laserdisc of this for $90 back in 1986 and sat in a small room and watch the thing with a script. Yeah, no subtitle translation or anything. That was the level of dedication they had, that level of dedication that doesn't really exist today in that same sense. But they're diehards about this, and they know their stuff, and the commentary track on this is really good. They got a couple of things wrong, little things, tiny things, but it's a very informative commentary track. Yeah. It's very similar to the commentary track on Megazone 2, 3, Part (laughs) 1. Megazone 2, 3, Part 1. Also Matt Greenfield. David Williams and Janice Janice Williams. And so, if you want to learn about that stuff, then check out this commentary track. Unfortunately, if you're buying this DVD, you're probably already part of the choir. Because it's not easy to get this. Perfectual Earth Defense Force is not available in stores. You can't go to Best Buy to get it. You can't even go to most online sites and get it. ADV made it a web-exclusive release that you could only really get through their website and then later on a few others. I got mine from DVDPacific.com. Same here. It I took was them... disappointed when I ordered from them not too long ago. I didn't see it on there. Yeah, it was on there, but it was listed as being on order, and it was on order for a very long time. I only just got the DVD last week after I had pre-ordered it. And DVD Pacific, you can find it on there, hopefully, still, for like... Eight bucks. Yeah, hopefully they have it in Seven stock. bucks or something. And the thing is, the decision strikes me as kind of weird. You look at the packaging, you read the ad copy, you can see that it's meant to be something to appeal to the average anime fan who picks this thing up going, huh, what the heck is Perfectual Earth Defense Force? Because the front package is made to look very much like a Star Wars spoof in terms of the font they use and the subtitles strike back is actually the... The subtitle, I guess. It's called hmm. The Subtitle Strike Back, Perpetual Earth Defense Force, and it's meant to look like a sort of Star Wars-like cover. You look at the back, it says, before there was XL Saga, there was Perpetual Earth Defense Force, and the selling of it is, hey, this thing is really ridiculous, and hey, buy this thing, even if you don't know what it is, and people probably would have done it, because, hey, eight bucks, or ten bucks, and or whatever it was. And yet they're not putting it in places where... And yet it's available through channels that only the most dedicated people will find it. We were talking about this in previous episodes, that ADV is really good at manufacturing controversy to make things that may not necessarily be 
a good seller into moderate hits, and I got the feeling that the whole make PEDF available only online was one of those tactics. Do you think that's going to work, though, or that people are just not going to buy it because they don't know it exists? I think that hmm, people... I suspect with a title like this that is an older show and not something that's hugely well-known, it's probably just going to pass completely under the radar. Completely under the radar uh, is my agreement as well, but I think... I think that pretty much everybody who wants this probably already has it or has it on order. Yeah, that's my take on it, too. That's why we're doing this podcast. Exactly. To get the word out. To get the word out to people. But it's not really working, because the only feedback I've gotten regarding Giant Robo has been people who have already seen Giant Robo saying, yes, Giant Robo is indeed that damn good. (laughs) As opposed to people who are like, oh, I went and got Giant Robo. Pre-recommendation. We we sold a lot of copies of Odin and Gonad the Barbarian. Yes, we did. So, So please, people... I heard from a couple people that said that they were checking out Saint Seiya. Yeah, that's true. They are. That's good. Perfection with Defense Force, come on, folks. It's the right price. It's the perfect way to release stuff like this, except for the web-only thing. I really wish that this sold really well, because they had said that they would look at how this did and use it to gauge whether or not it would be feasible to release similar older titles in the same fashion, Mm -hmm. or in similar fashions, and by that I mean sub-only cheap. So I'd really like this to catch on, because I know I've gotten into disagreements with some people online about, uh, oh, they should have dubbed PEDF, and then they could have gotten it in some wider distribution channels that wouldn't have carried things that were subtitled only, or yada, yada, yada. They could have advertised the heck out of it, and I don't know. I think people would just Mm. take one look at the box cover, say, look at that old artwork, back it goes. Yeah. That's the reality of it. But, like Gerald said, if you're going to dismiss something because of that, you're missing out. I really think that this is a pretty funny little thing. I don't think that they could have really chosen a better thing to experiment with. Yeah, this because is it's the got, ideal thing. Self-contained. It's, it's self-contained. Short. It's short. They, it's got that sort of Excel Saga-ish appeal. I mean, it's got the rapid-fire jokes, so they can sell it on that level, too. Yeah, the I mean, it's got tons of references are, that you don't really need to get in order to yeah. understand it yeah, the star of the say, like do you think that the reference jokes make it inaccessible see the star of the giants people have seen star of the giants the star yeah. of the giants joke is funny if you don't know the star of the giants even yeah it's, it's, it's like, even funny if you don't know the star of it's the giants. levels of jokes it's like how the simpsons at its prime was people right. can appreciate the joke on one level but if you actually know what they're talking about it's even funnier yeah. mm-hmm. that's how pedf's jokes are so I really would like people to see this thing. I'm not going to go out and say it's the greatest thing ever. I'm not going to go out and demand that everyone watch this thing or die. But at the same time, ADV is kind of looking at it that way. Yeah. So you might want to consider that when you're even making your next purchases. Heck, it's probably on Netflix or something like that. Buy it. Yeah, please. you really got to buy this one. It's not like the Pat Labor movie release. Yeah, it's not like it's something so expensive that it's going to break the bank and, gee, should I really spare that much money on something I've never seen? Why rent the thing for $3 or put it in your Netflix queue, which, you know, you've only got so many slots per month to use up at any given time, when you can just buy this thing. And because it's a type of work that it is, it's got this excellent replay value that you can really go back and page through scenes and find a whole bunch of other little jokes in there. Oh, yeah. I recommend it. I hope people watch it. Sorry, I wasn't really the hard sell on this one, even though we've been talking about it for so long. But if you watch this thing and don't like it, let us know. 
because if you buy it, dude, let us know anything. Yeah, I don't. I get the feeling we get no feedback on it whatsoever. I suppose, uh, except from people who already have seen it. I guess on that note, we'll pass things off to Clarissa now, and hope that things get recorded right. Because Clarissa's been sounding like she's thirty feet away from her microphone. So, <laughs> if the whole Ronan Warriors segment ends up sounding that way, then you know who to kill. All right. <laughs> Alright, and that brings us to our segment on Neuroidon Samurai Troopers, a.k.a. Ronin Warriors. So, a few weeks ago, I talked about this really huge anime, Saint Seiya, that was this worldwide phenomenon. Well, Saint Seiya had been kind of unique in that it was the first show to use the sort of armored hero formula. And the fact that Saint Seiya was so hugely popular meant that not very long afterwards... A couple of other people said, hey, maybe we can make shows like this and try and see if we can get another show that's as popular as Saint Seiya. So one of the shows that they did to try and recapture the popularity of Saint Seiya was Yoroid and Samurai Troopers. It started airing in Japan in 1988 and ran for 39 episodes, followed by three OAVs. They also released tons of other supplementary material, not just merchandise, but they released novels and mangas, some of which were new stories. They released several drama CDs. So Samurai Troopers did pretty well. It never really reached the popularity of Saint Seiya. Interestingly enough, while Saint Seiya would take 20 years to make it over to America, in 1995, Samurai Troopers was bought and produced in English by Grass Entertainment and dubbed by the Ocean Group, and released under the title Ronin Warriors. I don't really know how popular Ronin Warriors was in terms of the U.S. I I know at least one person I interviewed said the first anime they ever saw was Ronin Warriors, and they didn't realize it was anime. Very much like how people our age say the first anime I ever saw was Voltron, and I didn't realize it was Mm -hmm. anime. Yeah. I'm hearing that being said for Ronin Warriors now. Yeah, I hear that too. Yeah, it did have a couple of other runs. I mean, after it ran the first time, it reran on the Sci-Fi Channel. Right. It Cartoon got a pretty Network wide syndication, it. didn't it? I believe so. I'd seen it before Sci-Fi, but I'd missed a lot of episodes. And then when Sci-Fi yeah. did their run, I watched every single episode of it. Yeah, same right. here. Same with me as well. What's interesting is that for the time period and how anime was generally dubbed and run on television then, it's actually comparatively incredibly faithful. Obviously, there are changes. They, of course, swapped out the opening and ending sequences and the eye catches and replaced them with new ones. They changed the names of a whole bunch of characters and they changed a whole bunch of other details. They had CG transitions between the scenes, didn't they? Um, yeah. But there was no editing, which... Not really that many other shows actually got away without being hacked to pieces. It's also not especially graphically violent. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't remember it being... It isn't like Saint Seiya, where it's very bloody. Yeah. There really isn't any of that, and there's really no nudity, so there was nothing really that they needed to edit. The storyline has really not been very much messed with. Also, if I remember correctly, they left in all the original background music. Now, the storyline of Samurai Troopers, the... Armored guy shows 
tend to have mythological basis. Saint Seiya was all Greek mythology, with a few cameos from, say, Norse mythology and stuff like that. Another show that I will talk about in another episode, Tenku Senki Shirado, is all Hindu mythology. Hindu mythology, right. Samurai Troopers, as far as I know, is unique in that pretty much all of the mythology that they use for it was created for the show. In terms of the legends of the armor and whatnot that they talk about in the show, I believe that all of that was created for the series. And the storyline goes that a thousand years ago, the demon lord of the netherworld, Argo, or Tolpa as he was called in the English version. Such a weird name change. All the name changes from Yoroid and Samurai Troopers to Ronin Warriors are just weird. Take one weird name and change it to another weird name. My favorite name change was when they took one guy that was named Anubis, and they renamed him to Kale, and then they took a guy named Shutendoji and renamed him Anubis. That's just stupid. Don't ask me why they did that. I have didn't, no idea. Didn't White Blaze come out relatively unscathed? I mean, wasn't the Japanese name relatively the same? Or... Well, they just translated Yeah, it, it was the Japanese okay. whatever the term is for White Blaze. Yeah. Okay. White also, Blaze the was their pet tiger. Not exactly the most important character. The Siegfried so. and Roy style tiger. Yes. I think they had the coolest animal mascot of any show because they had the White Tiger kick the ass of pretty much any other animal mascot. But it wasn't a riding a unicycle and blowing on a horn, like... <laughs> or mauling <laughs> half the cast. This Did is that not what the show is about. Did that ever happen in the OAV? This is not the storyline plot. There's a demon lord <laughs> a thousand years ago. <laughs> what was the demon lord up to? So yeah, a thousand years ago, there's the demon lord Arago, who is determined to conquer the human world, as they are wont to do. And a guy called Kaos defeated Arago and kind of banished him back to the netherworld. But Arago had this armor, which was sort of imbued by his power. And what Kaos did is he split the armor into nine different sets of armor, into nine pieces. And each piece of armor was imbued with one of the Bushido virtues. Righteousness, justice, courtesy, intellect, faith, loyalty, obedience, reverence for elders, and bearing pain quietly. So who was the fag who got courtesy? That was Seiji. He's the best character in the show, Gerald, so... <laughs> Actually, no, I think in the American one, they changed his to Wisdom. Oh, it was Wisdom? And then Toma had been Wisdom. And they gave wisdom to Seiji, I guess, because they figured it was less gay than courtesy. <laughs> and they uh, changed Toma's wisdom to life. Okay. But anyway, as the thousand years are passing, along the way, four of the armors, Arago managed to corrupt people and get them and those armors back onto his side. But there were still five remaining. And now, in modern-day Japan, Arago is trying to make a comeback. He's gearing up in order to invade the human world again and try and take over. And five young men now fight against Argo's invasion and save the human world. It's a pretty general storyline. Doesn't, like, the main storyline happen in the course of a day because time freezes and... Okay, it's modern-day Japan, all of a sudden, everybody's gone and it's perpetually night or something weird like that. I think that that was after effects from the attack by the netherworld. I believe that a lot of the citizens were kidnapped. Oh, okay, yeah, their souls were all taken or something. Yeah, they were all taken by the netherworld. 
that's why they are completely oblivious when they come back in the rest of the world because modern day telecommunications (laughs) don't exist to say hey guys you guys have actually been gone for a shit long period of time (laughs) pretty much yeah and I actually think it was in Shinjuku. Shinjuku the, always uh, gets attacked by them demons. These armor guys, they didn't have a wooden stick. A wooden <laughs> stick is a, the weapon of choice when beating down demon hordes. <laughs> they had some good weapons, though. Yeah. Like, which ones were your favorite? Oh. Well, you I always you liked Toma's bow. How is Ronin Warriors being released in America? Isn't this kind of a weird release? I actually really like this release been released on DVD by Bandai Visual, and the 39 episodes of the television are released on 10 DVDs with four episodes per disc, and the DVDs are double-sided discs, and one side of the DVD has four episodes of Ronin Warriors, and the other side of the DVD has four subtitled episodes of Samurai Troopers, with the original openings and endings and eye catches and everything put back. Yeah, you couldn't just switch audio yeah. tracks on it because there were... Right, because of the openings and endings and such. And the changes yeah. and the transitions and things like that. And the Sherlock yeah. Hound. All of the DVD cases come with reversible DVD slipcovers, so you can either display the DVDs as Ronin Warriors or Samurai Troopers, depending on which you happen to like more. There was a box set released very briefly. I believe what happened is that they released it, and then they very quickly discontinued it. I don't know if it's because it wasn't selling or what, but it didn't take very long before the box set got discontinued. So if you want to buy it, you can try and find the box set, but it probably won't be very easy to find, so you're probably better off actually buying the individual discs. I got some of them from, we mentioned DVD Pacific earlier, so if you're going to buy Perfectual Lords Defense Force from them, maybe you might want to pick up some DVDs of Samurai Troopers. They're like eight bucks a pop on there. Also, when Samurai Troopers was originally released as Ronin Warriors here, they did release the 39-episode television show, but the OAVs had not ever come out. The new Bandai DVD release also has two discs, the first disc contains the Gaiden and Kikute Densetsu OAVs, and the second disc contains the five episodes of the Message OAVs. I've heard that the these are pretty these bad. Are. Is that um, true? I liked Gaiden and Kikute Densetsu. They're not, like, spectacularly impressive. Message, the last episode of Message is pretty good, but the first four are pretty wretched. The last episode, the fifth one, there's some good stuff in it, but for some reason, I don't know if there were budget problems to what, Message came out in, I think, 91, and something like 70 or 80%, it seems, of the first four episodes are edited together recap footage from the TV series with voiceovers of the different characters, like, talking on and on about their thought process about this whole issue that's going on. That sounds like the Wolf's Reign recappers. (laughs) They are pretty terrible. The last episode is not like that. But there were Japanese fans that paid 80 bucks a tape for that. (laughs) I know, they are pretty terrible. I can't really recommend Message. If you're a big Samurai Troopers fan, you might as well get it for completeness and to see that last episode, but really, it's pretty much a disappointment. Are those dubbed? Yeah, they did dub these, the OAVs for the new release. Because they were never released when the initial television series were done, there are some differences in the voice cast and such for the OAVs. The OAV dub was also done by the Ocean Group, I do believe that the voice director for them was different. 
some of the people in the voice cast are the same. For example, the voice actor for the main character, Ryo, is the same from the television series and the OAV. Or as he was called in the dub, Ryo. Yeah. I'll give the dub credit. For the time it was For the a good time film. it came out, it was pretty well done, and it was one of the few things of bringing anime over, putting it on yeah. TV, where they didn't try and make it not be Japanese. Like, oh, this is taking place in Shinjuku, and there's Japanese text on the signs, and the attack names are in Japanese, and I'm actually kind of surprised that people didn't know that it was a Japanese cartoon when I and hear that. And they had some pretty good people in the cast, I think. Michael Donovan was in that, in fact, he was Sage. And also, die. Who is Anubis, or whoever they called Anubis in the dub? Quake with Fear Anubis. Oh, that was Paul Dobson. Paul Dobson, okay. Oh, well, he was, he was the best dude in that. Yeah. Quake with Fear! So that's my favorite one, because that's like what I was asking the favorite weapon. Oh, well, mine was the Kusarigama, the scythe with the chain, because that was Anubis's weapon. Yeah, and then, I really liked uh, Roger, aka Deus's weapon, the like spider arm thing. Oh yeah, yeah. The six like things with the hooks. Yeah, that was pretty sweet. So yeah, some of the voice actors were the same, but they didn't get the whole cast back for the OAVs. There's also a weird thing where some of them, for example, the voice of Rowan in the OAVs, the listings that I've seen say that it's the same guy. I tried checking the credits on my DVD, but the credits on the DVD did this thing that I really fucking hate when they do, where when they list the English cast for the show, they just give you this glut of names. Yeah, it's just all the names of the people in the dub, and you have to just figure out who yeah, it's is just who. A list. So, I can't check the credits to see who actually That is a union one. thing, by the way. According to the, and according to the listing on Wikipedia, Rowan is the same guy, Ward Perry, between both the OAVs and the television series. Ward Perry was my favorite of the Ocean Group guys, yeah. except his voice as Rowan is bad. Okay, here's the interesting thing about that. In the OAVs, he doesn't sound the same. Given that it was made in 1995, and I can't fault Ronan Warriors too much for this because it was dubbed in 1995, but it was pretty cheesy. Yes, they had like silly Bro pseudo-Brooklyn accents and stuff, and some people had some kind of ridiculous voices. There was some pretty ridiculous dialogue. Tell me one thing. How can you be so evil, Kyra? The pay is good and there's lots of room for advancement. Now be quiet while I drain your power. I advise you to submit. It'll be easier for you. The OAV seemed to have taken somewhat of an approach of trying to modernize it and toning that down. And if you had asked me a little while ago, hey, dub Ronin Warriors, but kind of take out some of the cheesiness, people won't say dude as much, and there won't be much silly jokes, and Rowan won't have that kind of ridiculous Brooklyn accent, I would have said, awesome. Except they did it, and it doesn't really work. It feels like those ADV dubs, where it's not really... It's not actively bad, yeah, but it's, it's not really memorable bad. or good either. And so I found myself missing things like Rowan's ridiculous Brooklyn accent. Yeah, I never would have guessed that Rowan and Sekhmet were the same voice, because when I think of Ward Perry, Sekhmet <laughs> yeah. is Ward right. Perry's voice. But yeah, yeah, Ronan Warriors was neat to me when I was a kid, because you didn't see too many shows where the storyline was serialized. If you missed an episode, it wasn't standalone. The mm -hmm. next episode would carry over. The bad guys would turn good eventually. Yeah. Think about the other shows that were on in 1995 right. here. There were some pretty wretched things in terms yeah. of... And hey, I think the tick was here, great. Oh, the Ron tick was great, and the tick got cancelled for being so great. But. <laughs> <laughs> There's very obviously a payoff if you stick with the show. Yeah. Yeah. 
think that Ronin Warriors was really helped by the fact that we didn't have Saint Seiya. So you didn't have anything to compare it to. Very much like Voltron. Voltron yeah. was just another show, but over here, oh, hey, Voltron, yeah. I wonder how Ronin Warriors went over in Europe and other countries that got Saint Seiya. Ronin I Warriors? see listings for a French cast, a Spanish cast, and an Italian cast, a Portuguese cast. So that's pretty much oh, everywhere okay. Saint Seiya was big in Europe, I'd say. Yeah, I know we have listeners from some of these other countries. If you guys remember Samurai Troopers, whatever it was called, and how do you remember it stacking up against Saint Seiya over there? Since they are from the same genre, and Samurai Troopers was sort of an imitation, and since I reviewed Saint Seiya already, in terms of comparing Samurai Troopers and Saint Seiya, we talked about this a little bit in the Saint Seiya segment. I know that you guys said that you liked Samurai Troopers better than Saint Seiya. I can't really say that, because to me, all of these three shows, Saint Seiya and this one, and Shirado, which we haven't talked about yet. They're different, but I don't know that I can say like there's a clear better, because I think they each do some things better and some things worse. Samurai Troopers definitely has the advantage of that it's only 39 episodes plus a few OAVs. It's far more compact than Saint Seiya. There isn't as much filler. On the other hand, to be perfectly honest, Samurai Troopers on its own is a fine show, but it comes nowhere near being as epic as Saint Seiya. The characters are not quite as well developed in general in Samurai Troopers. Pretty much all the stuff on the backstories of even the five main characters are all provided in audio dramas and character encyclopedias that were published. And all things we never got here, basically. To the show. Yeah. And they were all done not in the show, but as supplemental material. Yeah, if you were a big fan, you could go pick them up, but it's left out of the show. Whereas Saint Seiya being longer, while it introduces problems with filler and such, you get much more time with the characters for them to go into backstories and personalities. And There are some scenes in Samurai Troopers that are really powerful and that stick with me, and especially near the series finale, there are some really powerful couple of episodes there. I remember a scene where just they were all running in their armor crying, and its tears yeah. were all sparkly. I don't remember why. Yeah. It probably had to do with, you <laughs> have to kill me, guys, or something weird. Yeah, it was. And then okay. Were... <laughs> I just guessed. <laughs> What would yeah. be the reason why everyone would be doing that? <laughs> of course, I mean... Yeah. He just threw yeah. a baseball and... we just spoiled the ending. Yeah, whatever. I think that Saint Seiya was, like, so huge and epic and over the top that Samurai Troopers doesn't quite touch that level of emotional power. No <laughs> galaxies exploding in the background in yeah. Samurai The so, guy that has to gouge his eyes why... out. Samurai Troopers is a perfectly good show. I definitely recommend it to people. I love the show myself. Hey, Adam. <laughs> Guys, could you be quiet? I'm trying to leave a pod mail to Adam Curry. Wait, did you just say Adam Curry? That hottie from MTV? Ooh, can I run my fingers through his hair? Can I lick him? I want to lick him. Guys, we do a podcast every Wednesday, not a touchcast. Ooh, I like it. OtakuGeneration.net. Getting in touch with your inner otaku every Wednesday. That's going to do it for us this week here at Anime World Order. I know it seemed like we were all devoid of life and wanting to die and hopefully... These recordings will come out okay, because we're sounding kind of strange. Any thoughts, feedback, questions, comments, endorsements, admissions that you voted for us on Podcast Pickle, or you added us to our favorites, that is. You bought something that we talked about. Yeah. You didn't buy something that we talked about. Etc. can be directed to animeworldorder at gmail.com, or, of course, you can call us, leave us a voicemail message, 206-666-4AWO, 
or 206-666-4296. Let us know about that stuff. Sign our Frapper map at frapper.com slash animeworldorder. There's a link on our website. Other things you can do is chastise us for a lack of podcaster community services, forums, <laughs> IRC, t-shirts, pins, <laughs> merchandise, all sorts of things that real podcasters provide that we don't. If enough people talk about it, maybe we'll maybe we doing have it. to bite the bullet and actually do it. But anyway, next week, the official theme, as it were, cat fights, girls fighting <laughs> each other, anime. Gerald, this was your idea, so you get to lead off with, I guess, one of the definitive ones. On yeah, well, I'm going to be taking a look at one of my absolute favorite anime movies, which is celebrating its 20th anniversary, I believe, this month, Project Eiko. I thought that was the most hardcore, badass anime I'd ever seen when I saw it on Saturday. It wasn't even Saturday anime. It was Anime Week on Sci-Fi Channel. And oh, hosted by Ralph Bakshi. Hosted by Ralph Bakshi talking about how the fight between the girls manifested themselves as a space battle. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then only after I finally saw Wizards did I realize that I was being lied to and deceived and that Project Echo was actually a screwball comedy of epic proportions. Yes. I'm going to be talking about a series that doesn't get a whole lot of attention, sadly, which wasn't helped by its American release. The pinnacle of girls beating the shit out of each other and beating the shit out of dudes, Air Master. Yep, Air Master was definitely my favorite anime that the year it came out, which was, what, 2004? Uh, I, think I so. believe you're right. Yeah, that was my hands-down favorite thing. I was down on the raws of that and watching it because nobody cared enough to subtitle it until way, way afterwards. And so I'm going to wrap up the uh, trifecta here by reviewing a... It's not often overlooked or anything. It's kind of weird to track down nowadays, but you can get it. Four-part OAV called Shadow Skill, available from our favorite company in the world. Manga! Manga video, indeed. Wasn't there a Shadow Skill TV series? There was a Shadow Skill TV series. I'm going to be reviewing the OAVs. ADV, I believe, is doing Shadow Skill TV. It's almost the anime version of Only the Strong, only with wizards (laughs) and monsters. I just remember a lot of people being kicked in the face. And being kicked in the face is the mark of good anime. That's why Air Master is such a good show. People being kicked in the face. Full-on boot to the head. And Sakiyama Kaori. Yes. Sakiyama Kaori is to this day my AOL Instant Messenger buddy icon. Yep. It has not changed. It will never change. Sakiyama Kaori screaming <laughs> from the end credits. That's going to do it for us this week here at Anime World Order. See you guys next time.